1: Welcome to the MLB Daily Podcast, your one-stop shop for daily baseball content. I am LJ LaFura, and alongside me, I've got Brandon Karam. We are a belly-up sports podcast. We are what they aren't. Brandon, how was your day?
2: LJ, it was good. Uh was watching a lot of these games tonight actually there was a lot of intriguing finishes uh yeah just overall really solid start to the week
1: yeah I mean we're gonna of course go into all of these however there was a pretty clear standout game from this evening the one we're of course gonna lead off with because just in case you guys were wondering we double checked for you guys. The Tampa Bay Rays are still legit. Like I th- Brandon, I'm pretty sure they're still good. I'm not I'm not hundred percent sure, but I'm like ninety-five percent sure that they're they're a legit contender now.
2: Yeah. Uh far and away the best best record now after uh, beating the White Sox tonight. They now have a game and a half lead on the best record in the league. Uh they just get insane help out of the bullpen every single night. You know, uh, tonight Tyler Glass now only able to go four innings leaves due to a little bit of elbow inflammation. Well,
1: let's go ahead and actually get the rundown for in first before we go oh, yeah. too far. Sorry.
2: Oh that yeah. That's part
1: that partially how I set it up. That was my fault. Um You're but good. we're going to go into the top of the first here to get the scoring going as Austin Meadows rips a two-run shot and then the top of the third Brandon Lau hits a solo piece to make this a 3-0 ball game. In the bottom of the third, Tyler Glassnow gets a little bit wild here and ends up allowing Luis Garcia to score the first run for the White Sox on a wild pitch. Brian Goodwin hits an RBI single later that inning to make this 3-2 Tampa. As Brandon mentioned, he leaves in the fourth with um, right elbow inflammation. And then, of course, what other bullpen would we expect to be able to pick up that slack better than Tampa Bay, who pretty routinely it's they're pretty well they're pretty well used to starting pitchers leaving after the fourth inning. So they put carry that slack. Randy Arosa Arena hits a solo piece his ninth of the year in the top of the eighth inning. And then Brett Phillips singles to drive in one more and make this a five-two raise win. Give the win to JP Fireisen. he went two innings of shutout ball with two strikeouts. Tyler Glass now who of course started this game went four innings allowing three hits, two earned runs and six strikeouts over that span. The loss goes to Lance Lynn, who's now seven and two on the year. he went six innings allowing six hits, three earned runs and eight strikeouts. this raises his era to 1.51 on the season the save goes to pete fairbanks his third of the year you know i've got to be honest i'm gonna admit when i feel i'm wrong i i will i always will when i genuinely feel that i'm fully wrong if i don't think there's a way i can or at least if if i don't think there's a way i can bs around the argument um i'm gonna admit it and i'm gonna admit i i was a little quick not necessarily not necessarily wrong but quick to assume that the rays would fall back down after last year i mean 60 games we could we all know that some pretty weird things can happen in 60 games and also more so i just was really hoping to see negative consequences for all the blake snell stuff and Obviously, that did not happen. This team is as good, if not better, than they were last year. And what's amazing is that they're beating good teams on a pretty consistent basis. Like, they 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 clean up and they still come to play against teams that are built not like them. Like, it's not like they're beating down on mediocre teams and winning all of those games, losing games against above 500 teams and... Uh, teams with higher payroll, they're, they're in there grinding with everybody else. I mean, th- there's no way you can look at this team after this game and tell me that they're not the favorite right now. I mean, record isn't everything in terms of who's a playoff favorite because you know, it all comes down to what you do there. However, you watch them play Chicago tonight, I don't think you can say that they're not the favorite.
2: Well... We're going to have to see about glass now. I mean, I'm assuming he's not going to be out for an extended period of time. If he is though, then no, the Rays are not the favorite, but assuming that he will be fine and will only miss maybe a couple of starts at the most. I mean, yeah, this is a team that just gave Lance Lynn his worst start of the year uh, tonight. Uh, He was still good. I mean, three three runs over six innings is good, but it's not it's not what we've seen Lance Lynn do this year. And this this Tampa bullpen, I mean, they trade away Willie Adamas because they know that they have way too many a middle infielders, especially talent wise. They know that <laughs> There's just too many guys there. When you have three very good prospects that are that are middle infielders, and then you have three really good ones on your roster already, you were going to have to make a trade at some point. So they trade Willie Adamas for JP Fireyzen, who has been nothing but nails for them. I mean, this guy is lights out every time he comes in,
1: and only- again, this is a guy that you didn't hear about before this, like, it wasn't like,
2: I mean, he like is a rookie and
1: yeah. But like to the point where he's playing, you would have at least thought you'd hear like Milwaukee fans screaming and shouting about him going into the season to the, with the caliber that he's playing in Tampa. Like there's a palpable difference between pitching for the Rays and pitching elsewhere.
2: Yeah, and, you know, it's it, it, it's not only him. I mean, this entire bullpen that they put together as of right now, I mean, they trade for Pete Fairbanks back in 2019. Uh, they trade for J.P. and uh, Andrew Kittridge, who's in the, the bullpen, was by trade. Uh, Jeffrey Springs. Uh, they signed Colin McHugh away from the Red Sox.
1: Colin McHugh. And this Car- guy- Col- is it- Colin-, Colin McHugh was more of a let go because no one knew what the heck was actually uh, going to become of him. He did not look good after his injuries after last year. That's the reason he never played for the Red Sox last year. Um, So that is more of a gamble. But again, you look at Chris Mazza and Jeffrey Springs, who have both had significant time on this roster this year. They were absolutely nothing like the the difference between Chris or Jeffrey Springs in Tampa and then Jeffrey Springs in Boston is night and day and that's not just it's not that's not like this is like it's not like Boston has the worst coaching staff either. I'm not saying that they've got obviously they don't have the best I'm not saying that they've got the best but it's not like people are laughing it's not like they're the laughing stock of the league in their pitching. So that's just more of a proof of what they're doing in Tampa.
2: Also, I mean, they they just traded for another guy for the, the bullpen. They just pick up Matt Whistler from the Giants. Uh, I can't see if I can find any, any details here on the trade, but I mean, if – I swear to God, if this guy somehow is able to put up quality innings for them, I- I'm I'm going to lose it. I just don't understand how the Rays and Eric Neander just consistently win all these trades. I mean, that Pirates trade that they made for <laughs> the, the Chris Archer deal. The Pirates I-
1: trade was literally the dumbest thing ever. Like.
2: Austin Meadows and Shane Baz, like, are you kidding? Or no, was it Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass? Now was it? Yeah.
1: Yes. Austin yes.
2: Meadows and Tyler Glass now for Chris Archer, like, un- unbelievable return on that trade. It's just like, I don't, I don't get it, how they are so good at just playing this this game that they do, and you know, it, it's really gonna make teams question, you know. If the Rays can win consistently without paying, without doing anything in free agency, and having a terrible payroll, like why aren't more clubs just operating like them?
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, outside of them and the Dodgers, what club has actually figured out how to operate like that? the Dodgers are the closest thing out there. However, and, I don't think I don't think there is a full-on group that is actually capable of doing what Tampa is doing right now. A lot of these teams are going to try, but they're not nearly going to be able to replicate the success, I don't think.
2: No, but, the, uh, the the Dodgers and the Rays are pretty much like complete opposites though with in the way that they operate where the the Dodgers this offseason just threw money at
1: everything really. I mean, they,
2: yes, yes, yes.
1: But I mean, from a organizational focus. Oh yeah. Numbers focus. They're very, very similar in, in that regard. The difference of course, being the Dodgers can spend money so they can go and they can develop their system with the same mindset as the Rays. In addition to being able to go out and pay for whoever they want. kind of disgusting
2: yeah it's pretty unfair
1: (laughs) let me leave you with one more thing here because this is something we were talking about right before we got on and that is the log jam that you have with the middle infield really just infield because I mean third base I've, I've I've quickly gotten to the point where like middle infield is such it's not really a right term because third base gets left out even though it's very very similar in many regards to Shortstop, it has a little better, bigger arm. So you've got a lot of guys here, both in the upper ranks of your minors and your major league team that are middle infielders, third baseman. You've got a lot of good players between top prospects and these major leaguers. Could we see them go for some form of big play here? I'm not sure what the big play is, but you have basically I think we were talking it was like it's like six guys for three positions right now could you see a Brandon Lau could you see a Vidal Brujan be moved here if the the Rays think they have a legitimate shot to win it and then go get somebody that's on like who's in like the third or fourth year of their rookie deal and um what do you call it? Like in the third or fourth year of the rookie deal on a team that's trying to sell or somebody coming off of their contract that isn't like too pricey for them at the deadline. Like also consider the fact that like, you're talking like, I'm just using 40 million. Nobody, nobody they'd be trading for has a $40 million contract. But if you have a $40 million contract, you'd be looking to pay maybe 15 of it, which again, I know is way above their payroll. However, my, my point being, like, it's a lot cheaper if you're doing things closer to the deadline in terms of what you actually have to pay. So they could make a play here. They've got, they've got pieces to make a play, even if it's just a one-year rental play. They could do it and get away with it with how good this roster is.
2: They could. Uh, I'm not sure what the
1: target is. That's the thing.
2: Yeah, and the problem is that they're, like... They, you, you say a $40 million contract and they would only take on 15. If they take on $15 million, that would be their most expensive player by $3 well, million. Do- dollars. Like it's again, the way they, again, operate, point, they, they refuse to pay anyone money. I mean,
1: they didn't even want to pay Blake Snell $15 million. Again, my point though, no one has that $40 million deal. So if you make that a $12 million deal, then that becomes a little more realistic.
2: Yeah. I now, mean, I'm like realistically though, you would want to probably flip whether it's Brandon Lau, Vidal Brujan, Taylor Walls, etc. a Joey Wendell, you trade one of them, you probably want another outfielder because uh Brett Phillips, yeah, I mean like he's not cutting it in right field right now. Uh if they could get another like bat out there
1: well my original thought here is i mean houston you know they let springer walk but they have kind of like danced around their money situation of late could that be a fit for a middle infielder that way they have In-field? yeah i mean again just again uh, this is not in correa no this is not a this is not a most likely scenario however let's not forget the fact that Carlos Correa can walk after this year yeah so not only is that protection but if they don't want to pay that money they don't have to pay that money like realistically they already said they're not going after Granky. they're not going after Verlander so you already know that he's their only target target but if they didn't want to make him the target and they wanted to go back for one of the other guys or if they wanted to go after somebody else to round out that roster you could hypothetically move something here to get a Vidal Bruhan to get a Joey Wendell who could play that shortstop that's just again completely hot take completely wild thought most likely like 11 times out of 10 not going to happen but it was just a thought that ran through my head
2: yeah, no, I I don't think it would it would be Houston. Uh, that that trade would have to be made this offseason, if anything, uh, after we see what happens with, with with Carlos Correa. I mean, in terms of teams that would want to trade for a a middle infielder, I mean, could we see a team? Uh, no, the Rays won't trade with the White Sox. Like, you have to also think about, like, who are they going to trade with? Like, why would the Rays want to make the Astros better? You know, or like, why do they well, want to... The I, I, I don't think... The, match I match think
1: match. the thing is, you can't really make the... With the way I was thinking that through, you can't make the Astros offense any better. Like, best is best.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know. It, it's like, it, it would have to be... The Rays would have to be trading with a team who is out of it uh, yeah, it would have to be a team that that's that's not competitive.
1: Well, we actually, play. we could we could um. Again, wild scenario. I'm not sure if it would take just one of those top prospects. Yeah, it would probably take more than that. But can we free my free our man Byron Buxton?
2: I don't think no. He's free, so, free valuable, so valuable. So there, it would have to take like a. A couple of those pitching prospects, Bruhan. Like I mean, Byron Buxton still has service time, like he still has two more years of control. With, Free with, Randy what? Dobnak. Oh boy.
1: Um also no, know they they turn him into a top reliever, let's be real. But, no, no, I mean no. these are this this is probably the most wild trade talk we've had so far. I didn't think we were going to be doing this before like five minutes ago, which is why I'm so incredibly ill-prepared. But like the point, the, the point we're at, the point being like, they have a lot of resources if they wanted to go do anything that they can with it. If they wanted to make that final finishing move, they could.
2: I don't even think that they operate like that. Like, they don't think about the one final finishing move. Like they they have their entire franchise like mapped out for the next five years. I mean, re, no, five like, years? Are you kidding They're already scouting preschoolers. No, like... They have a preschool scouting department. Realistically, because this is all they do. They just use up all their guys' service time when they have all the control on of them and you don't have to pay them anything.
1: If you served in the Vietnam, Gulf War, or post-9-11 eras, you may be eligible for expanded VA benefits. A new law known as the PACT Act provides disability compensation, health care, free toxic exposure screenings, and more to veterans who are exposed to toxins during their military service. You can submit a claim for your PACT Act-related benefits now. Claims received by August 10, 2023 may be paid back to August 10, 2022. Visit va.gov pact to learn more and file your claims claim
2: you just sign one-year deals in free agency that are very low risk you sign the not not good players in free agency and then right when your guy's about to hit service time or about to um end up being a free agent you either extend them on a team-friendly contract or you just trade them away or you extend them and then trade them uh, and then just get a crap load of prospects and you, you, know, when you put all your money into player development, getting a crap load of prospects for it, you know, it, it, it works. And that's why the Rays are able to stay very competitive year after year with a $50 million payroll. But, uh, yeah, I think. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll stop with hypotheticals because I just found one I'm kinda a little too excited about.
2: Well, uh shall we because we do have to do two Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah.
1: This is our double our double Hall of Fame special, and we've gone about 25 minutes on the Rays White Sox. So I'm gonna just name drop Max Scherzer real quick and we can move on. Mm-hmm.
2: That's not happening. <clears throat> his 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 contract is is more than half of their payroll. <laughs>
1: It's like it, a quarter of their payroll. If you think about it from a d- deadline standpoint,
2: it's not happening. It, it's, Brandon, it's you gotta not.
1: think. You gotta think big here, bud. We're in the middle of June. We don't have to actually take any form of de- trade deadline scenario seriously until July.
2: This no, is to have it, fun. I'm just thinking. No, I'm, i I get you're trying to have fun, but just, just like logic man like come on the Rays. like think about how they operate they would taking on uh any kind of like cash are you kidding me they would never take on money in a trade it's just like it, it, they they just don't do it
1: it's wander just... franco for garrett cole straight up that way you have somebody who can actually play a shortstop and then they, they'll, oh, move, they'll, okay. they'll move garrett cole after that season just because they can't afford to pay, pay the rest of his contract
2: Well, on to the Mets and the Cubs. Uh, We're scoreless till the bottom of the fourth when James McCann ropes a single and then Kevin Pillar doubles and it's three nothing Mets. Dom Smith homers in the bottom of the fifth to make it four nothing. And then Brandon Drury singles in the bottom of the sixth to make it five nothing. The Cubs get two home runs in the seventh from Anthony Rizzo and another from Patrick Wisdom. Uh, but that's the only two runs they get of the game. And they dropped this one five to two. The win for the Mets goes to David Peterson, who was very, very good tonight. Six innings, one hit, no earned runs, two walks and three strikeouts in the win. The loss to Jake Arrieta, five innings, four hits, four runs. Edwin Diaz. 13th save on the year strikes out the side to end the game.
1: All right. Well, next we have the Red Sox and the Blue Jays. On a side note, check it out at some point this week whenever I find time to write it, my article on trades that I really want to happen but never will because I I feel like I could have too much fun with this. Um, Bottom of the third, we get our first scoring opportunity as Alex Verdugo drives in. Kike Hernandez to put Boston up 1-0. And then in the top of the ninth, Matt Barnes comes in to close out this game and gives up the 22nd home run of the year to Vladimir Guerrero Jr., his fourth home run in four days. This sends us to the bottom of the ninth, where the Red Sox get the first two runners on. And then later in the inning, Rafael Devers hits a signal off the green monster. To bring in Alex Verdugo and walk the game off. The Red Sox, of course, winning two to one. Give the win to Matt Barnes. He went, of course, that one inning along the one earned run, but struck out the other three batters he faced. The loss will go to Rafael Dolis, who, of course, blew, blew that game with only being able to make one out in that inning. Boston starter was Nathan Eovaldi, who went six and two thirds, allowing three hits, no earned runs and four strikeouts. And for Toronto, they had Alec Manoa, the rookie, who went six innings, allowing four hits, one earned run and five strikeouts.
2: All right, on to the Pirates and the Nationals this one would get going in the top of the second when kevin newman goes yard for pittsburgh they take a 1-0 lead in the bottom of the third kyle schwarber with an rbi single to put washington on the board and we're tied at one juan soto then with an rbi single of his own and the nats take the lead up two to one the pirates get a second run in the top of the sixth on an Eric Gonzalez sack fly. We're tied at two, but then Kyle Schwarber in the bottom of the seventh, 13th Jack on the year. Nats take a three, two lead. The bullpen's able to close it out and the Nats win this one, three to two. The win goes to Caleb Finnegan out, or Kyle Finnegan, excuse me, out of the Washington bullpen. John Lester got the start, five and a third, six hits, two earned runs. The loss goes to Clay Holmes out of the Pittsburgh bullpen. JT Brubaker got the start for the Pirates. Five innings, four hits, two earned. And Brad Hand picks up his 12th save on the season.
1: Well, the Indians got three runs off the Orioles right from the get-go in the bottom of the first they were driven in by Jose Ramirez, Eddie Rosario, and Bobby Bradley. Baltimore doesn't score until the top of the fourth when they get two runs off of DJ Stewart and Freddie Galvis' sacrifice outs. And then at bottom of the sixth, Jose Ramirez drives in his second run of the game, which was all they needed as Cleveland goes on to win this one 4-3. to three. Give the win to Nick Sandlin, who came in after Mejia went four innings, allowing two earned runs and three strikeouts for Cleveland. The loss will go to Dean Kremer, who wasn't as shaken. Like it didn't get all frothy. It wasn't, it's not whipped Kremer at this point. It's just slightly, slightly rattled Kremer, who went five and a third, allowing three earned runs and two strikeouts. The save goes to Emmanuel Class A. His 10th of the year
2: the kremer uh still yet to record a win this year falls to owen six but uh you know he is he will one day not be shaken
1: no he shall not be eventually right he He, shall
2: not be shook
1: but he's not stirred that's the thing he's been shaken but he's not stirred that's why we still have hope
2: yeah, you know, it, it was it was a tough line for him tonight. I've seen guys with that exact line get the win plenty of times, so.
1: No, absolutely, 100%. Tough
2: night. Well, the Reds and the Brewers, uh, Cincinnati scores four in the first two, but the, the Brewers put up two across that span. Uh, and the runs come from a Jonathan India double, a Jesse Winker single, uh, and then uh, ground outs by Nick Castellanos and Joey Votto that score runs. There's the four for Cincinnati. The two for the Brewers come from a Daniel Vogelback home run in the first, and then an Eric Lauer, kind of pitchers who rake, a sacrifice fly. Uh, pitchers
1: who get it far enough in the air for it to matter.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, hey, a sack fly is is a, is a hard feat to accomplish sometimes. Uh, so, yeah, that was the the Brewers' second run. They would trail four to two after two innings. In the top of the seventh, Joey Votto two-run home run to extend the Reds' lead to six to two. And then the top of the ninth, A Suarez and Aristides Aquino, uh, Aquino homers, Suarez RBI single to make it ten to two, and that's the final. The Reds route the Brewers. Behind a Vladimir Gutierrez start, where he went six innings, allowing four hits, two runs, and six strikeouts, and gets the win. Eric Lauer takes the loss, five innings, five hits, four earned runs.
1: All right, next up we got the Tigers and the Royals. And Tigers got things cooking right in the top of the first. They get runs scored on an error and two singles in the top of the first to drive in four runs. And then in the top of the fourth, Willie Castro goes yards to make this a 6 nothing ball game before Kansas City even has a chance to respond. In the bottom of the fourth, Hanser Alberto hits an RBI double. And then later in the game, the Kansas City Royals are able to attack on two more, but it will not save them from the onslaught of the Tigers who went, and won this one 10-3, to three, the feasting of the Tigers. Um, you know what they were tonight? What? Great. Okay. Now that now that, that terrible joke is done, uh, the win will go to Joe Jimenez, who came in with one of the stupidest rules in baseball that no one's talking about right now, the reliever win thing. He came in during the third inning to relieve Matthew Boyd, who left it due to injury and ends up picking up the win with only two thirds of an inning pitched. The loss goes to Brad Keller, who went five innings allowing six earned runs and five strikeouts more on that, just because it frustrates me. The fact that a starter, like the fact that you are relievers are able to pick up wins in the early game so easily just is so frustrating and it's also not it's not fair at this point either because like with more teams pulling guys after four innings like they're not getting the fair credit they deserve like it's not their fault that their their manager will not let them see the the order a third time if you're making it through four innings and kept your team in a winning position why is that any different than going so much different than going five
2: Well, because five is, like, more than half the game. It's when the game becomes an official game. And also, I mean, I think that this just goes to show how stupid the win stat is. Like, people are finally starting to, to realize, like, maybe this isn't, like, a good stat. Especially when the official score, in some cases, where, like, if both starters fail to go five innings, then the official scorer ends up choosing who gets the win based on which pitcher had the had the 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 largest impact to the game for the the winning team i mean and the problem with that is that sometimes guys are getting the win and like they're getting a blown save like they're going i think there was an instance yesterday where a guy pitched like an inning allowed two runs and every other pitcher on his team didn't allow runs. Like he allowed the only runs of the
1: game, but he still gets the win. Like, it's just crazy. Again, I'm going to say, I think we, wins certainly have their uses. However, this is where the game should be proactive in adjusting things. Like you've got a game, you, as a sport, you are not allowing starters to go as long. So at least let them be included in this change. Like, there's no good – there's not a good enough reason, in my opinion, for there to be it's that. It's
2: like a stat, though. Like, it doesn't matter, really. It doesn't
1: matter. However, still, if it doesn't matter, then why not change it? Like – Because,
2: like, why, why? – no, but, like, why change it? It's been the same. It's not – it's not the players – it's not the, like – I don't know why you would change it just because the game is changing and like starters don't go as long. It's just it's just the rule. Like I don't know. It's just like, it's I, just how it is. Like I do,
1: I just think again you're looking at a situation where a guy could go four innings in a game and not get the win, but Joe Jimenez can go two thirds of an inning in the third inning and get the win. It's just it's an imbalance between the reliever and the starter and a, I think people still look at it. People still will look at it because it, it does help look it. I think from a starter standpoint, it helps a little more than actual straight up win, win loss record helps show how much of an impact you had on the direct winning. Like it's an easy stat for that. Also you have to think about the fact that, for a long time coming, for a long time from now, for a long time, um, fantasy baseball will still be using the win stat in a lot of ways. And so, as with all sports right now, fantasy is one of the, best, the biggest interest makers in the sport. I'm not saying you should sell out for fantasy. However, the competitive balance aspect of that is a an advantage to doing it.
2: Yeah, I just I don't I don't even think it, of, again.
1: It again. Th- this is why I said one of the worst things that people aren't talking about. There's a lot worse things in baseball that people are talking about, but like if all of those things were magically fixed, this would be what would get talked about next. I think.
2: Really? Like if, if all the it, if I just if don't all, think the, current, all the current if all the
1: current issues were gone and there was peace in the land, what else would you have? Would you argue with?
2: Well, that's when. Well, I mean, like what. <laughs> You know, there's it depends how how many of these of these issues are being solved. Everything is fixed. Everything's
1: I mean. fixed. It's like Thanos is snapped. The all financial
2: system in the league is is is
1: good. fixed. It's all good. Owner want to spend is good. Money. Ball, balls good. Owner's spending money, good. Um, what else do we need?
2: Uh so the ball isn't getting affected based on the free agent class every year. Good. No good okay
1: so yeah i mean if all the things that people weren't were comp- everyone's going to find people are going to find things to complain about so if the things that people are complaining about now weren't there i think this would get talked about more all
2: right on to the marlins and the cardinals this one Uh, The Cardinals score first in the bottom of the second on an Edmundo Sosa RBI single to make it 1-0 St. Louis. Jazz Chisholm comes back in the top of the third and rips a two-RBI single to give Miami the lead. Paul Goldschmidt ties it in the bottom of the fifth with a single of his own, and it's 2-2. In the bottom of the eighth now, the Marlins call on Dylan Floro, and Tyler O'Neal rips a RBI double off the top of the left field wall just missed a home run that makes it three to two St. Louis and then Paul DeYoung comes through with like what was essentially a swinging bunt down the first baseline a very weak ground ball with with runners on second and third and one out that allowed Another run to score to make it 4-2 to two, St. Louis. Alex Reyes comes on and closes it out. The Cardinals win 4-2. The win goes to Giovanni Gallegos, who pitched the eighth inning for St. Louis. Adam Wainwright tonight went six innings, two earned and six Ks. The loss goes to a Dylan Floro. The start for Miami went to Braxton Garrett. Four and a third, seven hits, two earned. And three strikeouts. Alex Reyes picks up his 17th save on the year. Season ERA drops to 0.84. So that's his ERA, 0.84. His expected ERA, over 3.5. I mean, crazy difference between his normal ERA and his expected ERA. He's not even in the top 70%. Of expected ERA on on baseball savant, and he's rocking a .84 out of the bullpen, like as a closer.
1: You know, that's the only one that matters, though, is it not?
2: Yeah, no. Uh, And it's because he walks like a ridiculous amount of guys for a closer. I mean, his strikeout to walk ratio is crazy. for a closer. Yeah, he walks over 20% of the batters that he faces. All
1: right, we're going to do a hyperspeed review of these last couple games here. Yeah. Uh, top of the second scoring starts with the Angels against the A's, and Juan Lagares of the Angels hits his first home run of the year to right center field. But that will not be able to stop the A's from scoring seven unanswered between the second and the third, including a Sean Murphy home run. and then the Angels will not be able to score again until the top of the seventh, where they are granted able to put up four runs. However, that will not be enough to beat the A's who knock off Los Angeles eight to five. Give the win to Sean Mania. He went five and two thirds, allowing one earned run and five strikeouts. Give the loss to who but DM Bundy. Dylan Bundy, of course, went two and a third, allowing seven earned runs and three strikeouts. The save will go to Lou Trevino, his 11th of the year.
2: All right, Padres and Rockies. Colorado gets on the board in the third on a Trevor Story single. C.J. Crone homers in the seventh to make it 2-0 Colorado. Ryan McMahon hits a double in the bottom of the eighth to make it three nothing Trent Grisham though top nine goes yard to make it th- three to two the padres pull within one but uh they are able the rockies are able to get out of it and they win three to two austin gomber takes the win eight innings three hits no runs Four strikeouts, completely shut down the San Diego lineup tonight, uh, was sensational. The loss to Denelson Lamette, four innings, four hits, one earned, and three strikeouts for him. Daniel Bard gets his ninth save, uh, allows that two-run homer, but uh, is able to get the job done, getting Fernando Tatis Jr. to pop out to end the game.
1: All right next up, we have the Twins and the Mariners. Scoring started with in favor of the Twins in the top of the first as they put, go up 1-0, but that is eventually tied up by a Jake Fraley RBI single in the bottom of the third. In the top of the fourth, the Twins get two homers, one from Alex Kirillov, his fifth of the year, and then the first of his major league career to Gilberto Celestino who played part of his minor league career only about 40 minutes from Brandon and I down in Troy with the Houston Astros Tri-City Valley Cats back in 2018. Anyway, from there on, it is all Seattle as they're able to score uh, twice in the bottom of the fifth and then a Jacob Bowers home run in the bottom of the eighth puts them ahead for the win 4-3. to give the win to Paul Sewald of the Mariners. This is after Marco Gonzalez went five innings, allowing three earned runs and five strikeouts. The loss will go to Hansel Robles, who went an inning allowing that one earned run off the home run. And Kenta Maeda got the start going four innings, allowing one earned run and seven strikeouts. The save will go to Steckenrider, his first of the year.
2: All right, Giants and Diamondbacks. Uh, in the bottom of the third, Brandon Belt comes through with an RBI double, uh, makes it 1-0 San Fran. Carson Kelly, uh, he has an RBI double of his own at the top of the fourth, and we're tied at one. Brandon Crawford goes deep in the bottom of the fifth to make it 3-1 San Francisco, his 15th bomb of the year. Carson Kelly responds again. Uh, with a home run, uh, a solo shot, his eighth of the year to make it three to two now. The the Diamondbacks uh, still trailing. And then in the bottom of the eighth, San Francisco is able to jump on the Arizona bullpen, score a couple more runs on a single by Austin Slater, a Brandon Crawford sack fly, uh, and the Giants win five to two. Alex Wood gets the win, six innings, four hits, two earned, seven strikeouts. Now six and three on the year. Uh, Matt Peacock takes the loss for the Diamondbacks, five innings, ten hits, three earned and three strikeouts. Jake McGee gets his thirteenth save on the year, and Arizona has lost eleven games in a row now. And to wrap it up, we have the Phillies and the Dodgers. Philadelphia opens up the scoring in the top of the first with a Bryce Harper RBI single. Uh, Then the Dodgers are able to get on the board in the bottom of the fourth with a Will Smith two-run home run to take the lead, his seventh on the year. Chris Taylor homers in the next inning to make it 3-1. The Dodgers bullpen is able to shut down philadelphia for the last eight innings after allowing that run in the first and the dodgers win three to one give the win to uh to david price who also goes two-thirds of an inning uh pitched the last out of the third inning and then the first and then the next uh the first out of the fourth inning uh now two and oh on the year the the dodgers use seven pitchers tonight uh And they combined to only allow that one run. The loss goes to Spencer Howard of Philadelphia, four innings, two hits, three earned. And Kenley Jansen with his 16th save on the season.
1: All right. I will run through my parts of the PPP and not PPP.
2: Yeah, I don't have any. So it's all you. All
1: right. So it's all me. Um, Mitch Moreland. Always a Gold Glover, Mitchy Two Bags, hit his thousandth career hit today. So props to Mitch Moreland. Um, also props to the entirety of the Tigers' bullpen as they certainly faced adversity in this game. We talked a little bit about uh, Matthew Boyd leaving in the third inning here with an injury. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but they also had Alex Lang for them out of the bullpen who also fell in this game. So that is not only a lot of innings to eat starting in that third inning, but a lot of instances where guys had to warm up very quickly. So props to them for being able to figure it out, you know, it's 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 really not as easy as as people would think to be able to take that many innings and still be a functioning bullpen in the weeks in the days coming up as well as to be able to pitch well to be able to win this game with all of these surprises for joe jimenez to be able to come in and finish out that game without having any form or that game inning without having any real sign before a couple moments before they were going to have to pull him and before the trainers were starting to worry about him that he would have to go same thing with Funkhauser. After Lang left, like these aren't parts of innings where these guys would be expecting to have to come out. So props to them. As for the not PPP, um, Cleveland is just not not in a great spot here. You know, um, if you have missed the news, Shane Bieber will be going to the injured list now. Um, I have not seen what Brandon. Have you seen a timetable for return?
2: I have not. uh, I don't think that there is one yet. I think that they need to possibly run a few more tests uh, but it's like a weird kind of shoulder, a muscle thing.
1: Yeah, he's currently on the 10-day I.L., which again, isn't that bad but that is a He's only going to
2: be out for 10 days though. He could be out for longer than that.
1: Absolutely. And the other thing with that, too, is like, realistically, that is a huge morale boost. I don't even know why I said realistically there. I'm a little tired right now. Um, That is a huge, like, kick in the pants to this team who is performing very well at this point. I mean, they're now seven games above 500. And this was a team we weren't expecting much from. This is a team that doesn't have a world-beating offense. They are currently 24th in runs, but have been able to get by with a lights-out bullpen, lights-out end-of-the-game guys, and some really good pitching from their top guys. But now you've got Zach of out and on the IL. You've got Shane Bieber out on the IL. Shane Bieber, a guy who is one of the best pitchers in the league, and so now you've basically got the only guy with like major league, like experience on your team. That's like solid being Aaron Savalli. I mean, Cal Quantrill has come in, but he has, doesn't nearly have the innings for me to be confident. This is kind of a piecemeal rotation for a team that doesn't, ha- isn't going to be able to give them the run support. I think to be able to stay above water here and still be hanging around.
2: Well, uh, let's move on to the leaderboards where, as for war for hitters, uh, Vladdy Jr. has taken a big lead. He is at 4.2 war. Behind him is Nick Castellanos at 3.4, and then a tie between Ronald Acuna Jr. and Xander Bogarts at 3.1. As for uh, the pitchers, it is Jacob DeGrom in the lead at 3.7, Zach Wheeler at 3.2, and then Garrett Cole at 3.1 behind him. For batting average, it is still Nick Castellanos at 357. Home runs is Vladdy Jr. at 22, RBIs is Vladdy Jr. at 56. On Base percentage and slugging percentage is both Vladdy Jr. Uh, He has a 30-point lead from base percentage and about a 70-point lead for slugging percentage, making his OPS 100 points greater than the next guy. He's at 1.148. Jesse Winker is at 1.048. Yeah, he is absolutely crushing the ball. ERA is Jacob DeGrom, 0.56. Kevin Galsman, 1.43. Lance Lynn, 1.51. And Shane Bieber has thrown the most innings this year at 90 and two-thirds. Zach Wheeler is at 90 and one-third.
1: That might explain why his shoulder is about to fall off. Yeah,
2: uh, I believe he's also made, yes, he's tied for the most starts made this year at 14 as well.
1: Wow. Well, it is about time for the double Hall of Fame special. Of course, we missed our Hall of Fame selections for the MLB Daily Hall of Fame last week, but we will be very glad to pick them back up again this week and to do a double feature again to remind all of you who forget and anyone who new who's joining us that we are every week going to pick a one player from each team to be a nominee to be narrowed down for the MLB daily hall of fame. The only rules are that there are no rules except the, the fact that they have to be an active member of the organization. So a coach front office member, player from this team all fair game we don't have to have good grounds to choose them there have been instances here where the majority of our reasoning for picking guys has been entirely off the field stuff i can think of two power hitters that are already in the uh, nominations that were that joined us more for their antics in the club in the dugout than they did for their play on the field or at least close to that and I, I wasn't even mentioning Zach Granke, actually. Now that I think about it.
2: Yeah, uh, we certainly uh, are big fans of power hitters who also love to just uh, screw around with their teammates. But and, and for, a little bit of
1: and a little bit of bullying of Ryan Meltapia.
2: Yes, uh, but as for uh, the two teams we're doing today, the first one we're doing. Is the Philadelphia Phillies, which is an interesting a group of players, LJ, because you have a lot of talented guys on this roster, but to me there's just not a lot of personality. Like there's not a there's not the guy who has like the you know sort of standout personality of on this team. I mean, who is, who's the, the, the leader of this team? Is it Harper? Like Harper doesn't act like he's a leader and that's not a bad thing. It's just, I don't know. He's not very outspoken. Like not a lot of, if I, if I
1: had, if I had to guess, I would say, I would imagine it's either Andrew McCutcheon or JT real Muto or, or I could easily see Bryce Harper as well. But Like, maybe, Dee. Maybe, but the way I see Philly is kind of like, and Philadelphia fans, don't get mad at me. Don't come do something crazy, please, especially if you're an Eagles fan as well. Um, It's kind of like that secondary small market, and it operates very similarly because of the teams having so much history. Like, the Phillies are a pretty big name brand. Like, we were talking about that yesterday, big names in baseball. People know the Phillies even though they haven't like had winning runs since the early part of last decade, it's like, it's a national league team that people know, they play the Braves and the Mets, which people know. So they're pretty big in that, but part of being a big market team, something you see with the Red Sox, something you see with the Yankees is a lot of time, the team brand, the the uniform, all of that washes away the personality of guys. That's why a lot of times you see, so much cool like like guys once they leave the pinstripes seem so much cooler like they just show a lot more personality and it's not necessarily something that the team is like keeping away but like there's this very there's a very proud air to the team and the team history and the team legacy that I think kind of washes guys out I mean the same thing happened with Mookie Betts he went to the west coast and basically became a movie star Gained this movie star attitude where he was just kind of this quiet, like, laid back guy that bowls in Boston. Like he just didn't hear. Like he he became much more exciting person once he once he went to L.A. rather than Boston. So I think that's part of what you see here. But you're right. This is a lot of quiet players that are the top guys. I mean, as Bryce Harper's gotten older, he's only become more quiet, less outspoken. But I'm not sure what the leadership is there. It very well could be, and he could just kind of just be hiding from the media because everyone inexplicably hates him.
2: Yeah, but uh, in terms of guys that I would be be willing to pick here, uh, you know, in, in term I don't think we've really made a pick yet where it was like, I mean, I guess other than, than a Jesse Winker, but where it was like, all right, like we're picking this guy because he's the best player on his team. And I mean, Bryce Harper gets a lot of crap from people for no reason, for really only because he got paid a lot of money. Uh, and they expect him to somehow recreate what his 2015 season was, where he put up a 198 OPS plus. I mean... That is an insane number to be at uh, for a season. And just a like, quick reminder, Harper is still an amazing hitter. Mm. I mean, like people seem to forget that this guy is consistently one of the best players in the league. I mean, I just, I don't get it with him, but I would pick him. I would pick Zach Wheeler based on what he's been doing this year. I certainly think that it's cool. What, what a JT real real Muto brings to the plate, him being not only a no great pun intended, catcher, he's a great catcher, uh fantastic hitter, but also is one of the fastest players in the league too, which for a catcher, like you never see that. So I think that that's really cool. Uh, Archie Bradley has, like, always been kind of a wild card out of the bullpen. I mean, he hit a triple in a playoff game, which not a lot of closers can say that they have done that. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to be between uh, Harper, Wheeler, and Real Muto for me.
1: Honestly... Out of those guys, I mean, honestly, the the first guy that popped in my head, he was on my favorite picks group, and that is Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper is an absolute mammoth of a baseball player. And, again, uh, just to hit home, like, he doesn't deserve the treatment he's gotten since that year. Like, you can't –
0: Join now and you'll see why ninety-two percent of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All access membership separate. Offer ends January eighth, twenty twenty-three. Excludes bike, bike plus, and tread basics. See additional terms at onepeloton.com.
1: It's almost impossible for somebody to replicate that. That isn't like doing something wrong. Like to do to, to surpass that, which really is what everybody wanted. They're assuming that he's going to top an eleven. 100 ops like you don't you don't just do that over 100 some odd games you don't do that to begin with very often but i'm also kind of shocked and i think it's mostly because of his outlook in the social me- media sphere the overall narrative that that's now taken shape into in the general media and that's the fact that he's only gotten MVP votes three on three occasions is insane to me. I mean, you look at this guy, and he has been consistently in the high 800s of OPS Plus or 900s his entire time. Like 2020, 900, um, if we look at OPS Plus, he's been above his lowest season since the tw- since 2016 was a 133. And yet he has three all stars since his MVP out of now five years, granted, only one of those years of an actual miss.
2: He should have but, made it in twenty nineteen also. Like
1: yeah, like that. I don't that, know how
2: you can look at that stat line for the year and then be like, Oh, how is he like how is he not an all-star? That makes I mean, more sense.
1: If people are really gonna nitpick av batting average that much, then I don't really want to be in this conversation. But Yeah, I mean, this is one of the best players of our generation that everybody just kind of decided not to like. and Just
2: because he got paid.
1: And it's not even just because – I don't even know if it's just because he got paid. Brandon, I genuinely feel like it it started before that. It started before he left Washington. Like, after 2016, everybody decided, okay, maybe it's because you had Trout that is on, like, that same kind of career area of when they came – Started came up and all. Perhaps it's like you have Trout now, and you're it's pretty clear that he's like the best player in the world. And it's not Harper, Harper, the guy who was touted to be the best baseball prospect we're going to have in a decade. Why isn't he that? That's because he's trash, he's a bust, and everybody just decided to hate. There's a lot of hate online, and it should not go Bryce Harper's way he's awesome. If I wanted, if we wanted to throw a couple other names out there, in addition to the very good second options that you put up there, uh, currently the most easily the most outside pick and certainly not the best player on this team. How about former USA um, qualifier, man, Luke Williams? Just a thought. We talked about them a bit. That he's was had a himself
2: very- a hell of uh, the last what, like 10 days.
1: Yeah, he's currently got a twelve hundred OPS in ten games, career games.
2: Ten play appearances.
1: Ten plate appearances, yes. So he, he's put up numbers, but the more serious one I was gonna put up here is should we give Joe Girardi a look? Should we
2: can should we give should we give Dave Dombrowski a look? I mean he's the I
1: would give Dave Dombrowski a look next year because really my justification for defending the record of this team is the fact that Rome was not built in a day. This was a team that he was pretty much set up to fail with with how bad the bullpen was last year. This was a historically bad bullpen. And when every single guy that you – out there is absolute garbage it's kind of hard to make good managerial decisions like you know like your your options are either pitcher a that's going to get shelled or pitcher b that's going to get shelled and you're you're screwed either way but with that being said i feel like when you watch him it still feels like the same in control joe girardi like in control of the game in control of The lineup and the team—it still feels that a very similar way to how he was with the Yankees. He's still as sharp as ever. I think we were talking about the other day about the fact that Joe Girardi was certainly done a disservice in New York by the end. And I mean, this this guy—this guy—is still a top manager in the league. I think, or not—if not one of the top, certainly a top half is fair to say. So I would not—I'm not pinning the record struggles being 30, 32 and 32 this year. I'm not pinning that at all on Girardi as much as I am the, the slow growth of the roster in a very similar way as we were talking with the Red Sox yesterday, Rome isn't built in the day. This is a process and they could only fix the problems so much within a year.
2: Well, let's make a pick. Uh, I'm, I, I think I'm going to go with Bryce Harper.
1: Yeah, I'm also going with Bryce Harper.
2: All right. Well, the next team we have is the Mets. And LJ, in terms for picks for the Mets, there was a couple that came into my head, a couple really interesting ones. So, of course, Jacob DeGrom, who is probably the odds-on favorite to get it. But Steve Cohen, I think, is needs to be in consideration. I think if we were going to pick an owner, this is the time to do it. Uh, you know, he comes in this off season and after the Mets had just years of horrific ownership by the, the will ponds, Steve Cohen comes in and proves that he wants to make moves. He signs he is able to get james mccann he's able to trade for francisco Lindor and then extend him he's able to sign trevor may add a bunch of pieces to this team that you know the we we would have never seen this out of the 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 will ponds in actual like Accepting the fan base wanting to win, wanting to compete—that wasn't in the the Will Ponds DNA. And I don't know. I think Steve Cohen is a pretty interesting guy. You know, especially when you consider that he was involved with like all that GameStop stuff that was going on.
1: Yeah, honestly, that's that's the biggest that's the biggest hit to him going into the Hall of Fame. I think
2: is that he's a shady hedge fund hedge fund manager. I mean is is that like really like that is that that a big of a deal i mean
1: i mean it's certainly a minus on his record like if we were making like a score like if he was getting a legacy score like in madden that's certainly not going to help it
2: shady hedge funds hedge fund i cannot say that word hedge.
1: was was he even it was he even part of the hedge funds or was oh, it yeah. because cuz cuz i know i know for a fact he was an owner of robin hood which was the big issue was that he shut down robin hood so people couldn't buy game stock
2: yeah no it was it was he 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 Uh, basically he he basically just like bailed out all of his boys yeah that's what that's what i was asking i couldn't i couldn't remember
1: if he had any actual skin in the hedge fund or if he just knew a lot of people like he had connections within the hedge funds that he was trying to say.
2: So he runs his own called point 72 ventures and they were, you know, kind of involved, you know, but he, he really helped out his, his, his buddy though. So yeah, but all right. Uh, Other than the stock talk, um, Jacob DeGrom is a pretty like, you know, there, it's not like we can say much about him. We have named more episodes, I'm pretty sure, after him than any other player. Actually, Vladdy Jr. is a close second, I think. But, yeah, I don't know. There's just, like, sure, right. what he's doing this year is could potentially, like, change the rules. Like, we could be 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 looking at a completely different game after this year because of what he's doing this season. So, I mean... I think that that makes it, I don't know. That makes it easy for me, but what's, yeah, what's, I, what's your take on this?
1: I, I'm actually going to let you make the call. However, I'm going to add a couple more pieces of information to your decision-making here because I am very happy with both of them. They're the only two that I could see here, but let's go through them both. First off, DeGrom, one of the things that I wish I could see more than anything was the 99 and 2000 Pedro years. Like Mm. I would kill to be able to live through those, live them, be able to see him in a Red Sox uniform, absolutely dominating every single person that he came up against. And like, I'm finally getting to, I'm finally getting to have that feeling with Jacob DeGrom. And it's so freaking cool. I wish it was a Red Sox, but it was so cool. Like, this guy has finally, it's, yeah, I would say since, like, May. When he came back in May, since then, he has officially elevated himself from best pitcher in the league to must-watch television. Like, you know when he's starting, even if you're not, like, a fan, if you, even if you're not following, you are cognizant of the next time Jacob deGrom is pitching for the Mets, and you're going to watch a Mets game just to see Jacob deGrom's half innings. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm having a great time getting to have that experience for once. As for Steve Cohen, all I have to say, the black jerseys. He brought back the black jerseys. So Brandon, I will leave this up. He's to you. He's an owner
2: that. for the people. I mean, he is, he's, yeah. he's For the fans, which I love, uh, I think with him also, we might have to wait a year because, like, if the Mets do end up not making the playoffs, you know, then it's like, all right, like, it it would be a bad look on us if we picked the owner basically because we're saying, oh, like, the whole point we're picking him is because he made the Mets, like, competitive again.
1: But, but can, can you deny the fact that they're very competitive right now?
2: No, they are, but I would hate for them to not make the playoffs. Because, you know, LJ, We've I mean, year after year, we've seen the Mets look great heading into this point of the summer. And then August hits. And let's just say that the Mets and Chris Sale have very similar success in August <laughs> in their career. <laughs> but... Uh, so that with, um, with that...
1: <laughs> but but again, to just counter that point before you make this pick, you could say the exact same thing with Jacob deGrom. I feel like this year, I'm for some reason, call me a sucker. I am more confident in the Mets this year than I have ever been. Just because, let's just eliminate the Nationals, and the Marlins right now. The Braves have a ton of holes, and the majority of their good players aren't going to be back till mid to late August. The Phillies, we just talked about the fact that they still don't really have a bullpen. I, I think this is ser- seriously the only team that feels kind of like cleanly put together and will eventually get better put together when they get their the rest of their outfield back. So I think I have a lot more trust in them. I have a lot more trust in them than I normally do. So then it becomes a very even playing field for me to say, what if Jacob deGrom has an awful back half of the year? What if he ends up not being the Cy Young winner in the second half of the year? And we go into this picking him based on that and looking at it, it's less likely than the Mets sucking, but it's a very similar thing. Like I don't, I don't think we can, can fully pick this based on what we're projecting could happen. Uh, Well, so like, I think my point was that
2: because he would be like the first executive that we picked, right? So like one of, and he'd be one of the only executives that we picked. Like the point of the executive like role is to set your team up for
1: success. But either way, I think the momentum shift that he's made this year certainly does do that. Again, I'm not picking either side. Honestly, I couldn't pick this. That's why I'm making Brandon, but like the momentum shift towards being a positive franchise. That's looking to win. Like the, the direction of the franchise has been such a crazy radical shift this year for the better that even if they do miss the playoffs, they're going to be put in a better situation than they have any other year recently.
2: You know what? I'm going to go, I'm I'm going to end up picking Jacob Degrom here. And I'm going to tell you why as an owner you can put the team in the correct like direction you can put them on the right track but at the end of the day the players have to go out there and they have to perform if you want to win it's it comes down to the the players at the end of the day and i would feel stupid to not pick jacob de especially with the the uh the season that he's having uh You know, it's weird that we had both Mets and the the Phillies and we both picked their star player. But it's also like those guys are so important to their team and they're just fun to watch. Like if I'm picking guys for a Hall of Fame, you want to pick guys that are fun to watch. You watch Bryce Harper hit. You watch Jacob DeGrom pitch. You can tell that they are very good at what they do, just by 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 only watching them for a couple of minutes. Like, I don't know, watching Bryce Harper hit the ball a thousand miles an hour off the wall, and then watching Jacob Degrom just make someone look silly. I mean, it's it's entertaining as a baseball fan. It's it's what we want to see. It's what you know gets us excited. It's 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 what brings us to the ballpark. So. To end this episode on a good note, we're picking Jacob DeGrom. Uh, As a Yankees fan, you know, I'm supposed to not like the Mets, but they're just such a likable team now that I just, like, I will be secretly supporting them when, uh, if, slash when the Yankees are out of contention. Uh,
1: I mean, again, I'm not trying to make this a shot at the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees have their own kind of, like, fan thing going on however New York fans in other sports can be a bit rough however right now the team and the fan base is kind of giving you that like golden retriever vibe so until they get success they're going to be a lot of fun to root for once they get success this could be insufferable it's like the Knicks already being
2: Oh it's, I mean, it's already these, it's already so bad. It, I
1: all right, I all I went from laughing at the Knicks to actually hating the Knicks in one year and that's just because they made the playoffs once. That's how bad it is.
2: So at college like there's I'm friends with a bunch of Knicks fans and like during <laughs> the season like I was like feeling like I was like really trying to support them. I'm like this is awesome like you know you guys haven't seen this in so long and like really like feeling for this next team and then i see like the 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 garden during the playoffs and just the way the fans are acting trey young made these people go insane like he literally drove people insane like these people he is so rent free in their head it's just it's unbelievable what like trey young playing that like sort of sort of villain role is what
1: where sure, he to. is a villain. So, like, he if it fit, it fits if the shoe fits wear it.
2: It, it let me just say it was he was the perfect guy to be like that first guy back in MSG at full capacity. Yeah, because
1: he because he's a whiny brat and he can let them have something to whine about. Um, but you know you're right. It's like one of those things. And it's a thing too where like, MSG might be a top. It, yeah, probably is a top five sports venue, in America easily in like just if you look at the scope of it like you just stand there i think you can say that even without knowing the full history of the building like without knowing what the garden is without knowing so many of the great games the history of the big east there everything that drives me to it at least um that makes it powerful you can see how great it is the fans don't do it justice the team doesn't do it justice I feel bad. For, I feel worse for the stadium than anything else.
2: Yeah, because uh, I certainly don't feel bad for James Dolan. Uh, no, geez, talk about bad ownership. And
1: actually, and I feel bad for Derek course. Rose.
2: <laughs> First place MVP vote.
1: D Rose and Tibano are the most lethal combination in the NFL, the NBA, but we are an MLB co- podcast, so.
2: Yeah, well, thank you for listening to this MLB podcast, this episode of the MLB Daily Podcast. Uh, Be sure to check us out on Twitter at MLB Daily Pod. Check out our trivia game. Uh, LJ and I are on Twitter. I'm at Brandon underscore Karam. He's at LJ underscore VP underscore Lafiora. That's going to do it. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. See you manana.
0: O'Reilly Auto Parts specializes in keeping your car on the road. Not sure how much life is left in your battery? Our professional parts people will test it for free. If it does need to be replaced, we'll help you find just the right one to fit your car. Our superstar batteries are built to handle even the toughest conditions. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts today. O,
1: O, O, O'Reilly Auto Parts.